0: I'm so excited today uh, for part two of our series uh, called True or False. Um, I've been working uh, real in in close contact with one of our young preachers here at the story. Um, I'm so excited about our team of preachers. As we think about the story's future, we can't expand and grow and be the church that we're called to be around one preacher. Like, what's that? How does that end? If you've got one guy who's in the spotlight all the time and, and then, you know, I can get by a train on the way home, I think. I don't cross train tracks, but theoretically, it could happen. Um, And so we're building a team. We're building a team that will build a movement, and um, a part of that team is our uh, youth ministry coordinator, um, uh, Dylan Braddock, who is... Aside from Gio and I, the only seminary graduate on staff, Uh, he went to Truett Seminary at Baylor and uh, just an incredibly dynamic uh, youth minister um, with many of our students. Some of y'all have students under his leadership. And uh, Dylan's got a good word for us today. So y'all help me welcome Dylan Braddock up front.
1: Thank you, Eric. That was a super kind introduction and it's an honor to be here. It's an honor to be part of the Story community And it's a real honor to be preaching to y'all this morning. So thank you for being here. And thank you to our online community. We are so glad you're joining us in this moment. So as Eric said, we are in the middle, or at the beginning, I guess, of a brand new series called True or False. And what we're doing in this series is we're taking controversial claims that Christians say, maybe things you have said in your own life, and then we're checking them with scripture to see if they are true or false. If you have your study guide with you, you can go ahead and pull that out. That'll help you track along with the sermon and also kind of show you where we're going today. So when I asked this question to the church, I had no idea how they would respond. Um, What makes this sermon series so fun is we're letting you guys vote before we preach so we kind of get to see what the pulse is in the room. And as I was thinking about this sermon, um, this topic I thought was a really exciting one. And it is, you can love Jesus and hate the church. Today's question, or today's claim, is you can love Jesus and hate the church. I hope everyone who's here right now said false to this, because if not, that would be pretty awkward if you hated me or hated the church. But let's go ahead and pull up the results and see what all y'all said. Wow, So 29 percent of people said true. You can love Jesus and hate the church, and 28 percent said mostly true. So when you add that up, 57% of our congregation, so more than half of our congregation said this is true. You can love Jesus and hate church. You know, this isn't that surprising to me considering our congregation, considering who we are. Um, Our mission is to inspire non-religious people to follow Jesus. So that means a lot of people in this church or a lot of people following along online have probably been hurt by the church. They probably have questions. They're probably wondering, why do I need to go to a building on Sundays? So the fact that we said true or mostly true, it makes sense to me. And this Barna study done in 2019 kind of says the same thing. Um, They asked people, um, what is your perception of calling? And as you can see, 56% of Christians said that understanding one's calling or understanding one's purpose in life is primarily a solo journey. This means that faith, Is purely an individualistic endeavor that I can do all on my own. So, not just the story church feels this way, but it seems like most of the American church feels this way that you can take Jesus and leave the church alone. And I understand why people say that, right? Because church is weird. Like, have you ever thought about how weird what we're doing is right now? Like, if I tell you to close your eyes and bow your heads, all you would go, like, in unison, like Simon says— And we come to church every single Sunday and many of us sit in the same exact seat every week, right? You're in the same row, sitting with the same people. Um, We eat grape juice and Hawaiian bread. Like what's up with that? We sing songs about the blood of a lamb being sprinkled on me and raising our hands up in the sky. Like to lifelong Christians, this all seems normal. But imagine a newcomer walking in for the first time and having this overly excited greeter, handing them a sheet of paper and everyone having coffee. It's a lot of weirdness to get in one moment. And I actually saw a video this past week that one of our staff members showed me. that actually does a really good job of showing how weird church can be. Now, let me warn you, this video is a parody. It's not real, but I think this guy does a really good job illustrating this point. So let's check it out. Cause you still love me.
0: Darkest moments when I was in all the wrong places with all the wrong people.
1: When I didn't say thank you at the drive through, when I stole a DVD of Shrek 2. When I committed tax fraud,
0: my brother went to prison, even though.
1: Gosh, that's so good. The dog line is like a yikes room, like, oh, that's too close to home. Um, but yeah, hopefully, our worship leaders don't do that much oversharing during the service. But you get the point, right? Like, church, what we're doing right now, this thing can be pretty weird, especially to a newcomer or to someone outside of our community. I experienced this firsthand a couple years ago when I went to a a Catholic wedding. Uh, I grew up Southern Baptist, so I had no idea what Catholicism really was or what it entailed until I went to this wedding. And I'm doing my first sermon this summer, our first uh, wedding this summer, which I'm really excited about. So I've been kind of taking notes about what the perfect sermon is like. And I've basically boiled it down to 20 to 25 minutes, focus on Jesus, let the groom and bride kiss, and then go to the reception, because that's why everyone's there anyways, right? Um, But this Catholic wedding did not play by those rules, not at all. So we show up two minutes late, and I thought, oh, two minutes late, we're fine and we can walk in the back during one of the first songs, but nope, the procession was already going. So we ran and snuck in the back. And as soon as we got to our seats, we began the up, down, up, down, up, down prayer maneuver. You, you probably know this if you've been to mass before, it's a lot of ups and downs and ups and downs. And thank God my wife grew up Catholic. So she was my guide through the whole liturgy. So i kind of look over to her and just follow her leading the whole time. She even showed me the really cool like benches you can kneel on to protect your knees. And at the end of the service, we got in this big line and I was told to put an X over my chest, not like an X mark spot, but like a no, I can't have this wine. It's like not allowed for this guy. Um, And it was just a really weird experience. The whole time, I honestly just felt out of place. And for the Catholics in the room, this was a normal day at the office, right? They knew exactly what to expect, this was a normal day. But for me, as an outsider, it was weird. And we have to realize when new people come into our church, they're probably feeling that same level of weirdness and strangeness with a lot of the things we do. And this weirdness, or maybe this lack of relevancy, is a reason why a lot of people are leaving or abandoning the church today. It just doesn't feel relevant anymore to the things we're doing in our life. And when COVID hit in 2020 and churches were forced to shut their doors, people realized how nice it was to have your Sunday back, right? And we can all admit that, that doing church at home was kind of nice for a season, right? You could watch church in your pajamas. You could uh, turn down worship if that wasn't your thing. You could make pancakes during the service. I mean, that's great. And the best part, my favorite part is I never missed the Texans kickoff at noon. Every week I was there in front of my TV, ready to go. Church at home was really nice. It was probably too nice because people aren't coming back. Barna did another study at the end of 2020 and they said that only 35% of Christians are attending their pre-COVID church. So just over a third of America is attending their, pre, attending their pre-COVID church and 32% have stopped attending church completely during COVID. So just a third has stayed and just about a third has left. And Barna editor Roxanne Stone had this to say about the results. She said, we know from past research that Christians who do not attend church say it's primary." primarily not out of wounding, but because they can find God elsewhere or that church is not personally relevant to them. So the data is clear. There's a large group of Christians today who would answer true to this question. These are people who love Jesus with all their heart. They believe Jesus died and rose from the dead. They believe he died for their sins. They believe in all the docta and all the dogma, but they think you can take Jesus and leave the church. And Roxanne Stone is right. The majority of the conversations I have with people, here are the two excuses they give me. They say, Dylan, I can find God anywhere. I don't need to go to church. I can find God in nature, or I can find God in my yoga class, or I can find God in therapy, or I can find God on the golf course, right? We've heard all of these excuses. And also people just don't think it's relevant. They say, it doesn't apply to me. That's what most college students and young adults I talk to say. They say, Dylan, there's no one like me at church. There's no other young singles for me to meet. There's no one who looks like me there. Why would I go? Why should I be involved? If I wanna hear really good music and find community, I can go to a bar on Saturday night. What's the point of me going to church on Sunday morning? Right? And while this is the majority of people I talk to, there is another sizable group who have given up on the church because it has hurt them and it has wounded them in a very deep and a very real way. And as a pastor or someone up here on the stage, I want to acknowledge that, that that is real. Maybe you've seen like the dirty underbelly of the church and now you feel like you can't go back. You've seen the church's greed. You've seen the way we overspend on stuff inside these walls while refusing to take care of the homeless who sleep on our front door. Or maybe you think the church is hypocritical and all we do is call out these big public sins while avoiding the sin in our own heart. Or maybe you've seen too many church leaders fall. I know every time I see a pastor removed from his position, it breaks my heart because I know that man or that woman has baptized people. It's married people. He's led many people to Christ. And now through adultery or through some sort of abuse, he's lost his position and people can't trust the church anymore. I understand, and if this is your experience, I'm so sorry. I know why you said, I love Jesus with all my heart, but I just can't with the church. I get it. And no matter where you are on the faith spectrum today, no matter if you're a lifelong Christian or if you're a skeptic who has more questions than answers, this question we're talking about today is really important. Because we have to decide, first off, is there any connection between Jesus and the church? And secondly, if these two things are connected, is this broken church worth fighting for? Is it worth fighting for? The word church might actually be one of the most misunderstood words in Christianity. What is the first image that pops in your mind when I say church? Go, Sam. them. Building. Steeple, cross, pastor, right? Those are the things I heard, right? When I say church, maybe you think of this physical building. Maybe you think of the St. Luke's building down the way. Maybe you think of that old country church your grandparents grew up in. Or maybe you think of a pastor. Maybe you think of Pastor Eric or a leader. I know when I was texting my mom this week, she asked me what I was preaching on. And I just sent her like that little emoji of the church, right? That's what I thought of when I heard the word church. But all of these definitions are incorrect. The building, the pastor, the worship style, that is not the church. The word church actually never appears in our Bible. Did y'all know that? The New Testament word that we translate or that we substitute as church is actually ecclesia. Ecclesia is the word and it is translated to church over a hundred times in the Bible. But the kicker is, is it's not always translated as church. Sometimes it's translated as other things. And there's this crazy story in Acts chapter 19, where the apostle Paul goes to Ephesus. And in Ephesus, he baptizes a bunch of new believers. And these new believers, after they're baptized, they change their life and they start following Jesus. And they stop buying idols and stop worshiping idols. And this really upsets the local silversmiths in town. Because you see, in Ephesus, making idols out of silver was big business. It would be like if Eric came in here and preached against fossil fuels, right? We'd probably have some issues. Uh, And that's what Paul basically did. Paul preached against the idols, and the silversmiths got really angry. So angry that they started a riot. And in Acts 19.32, Scripture says, the assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing and some another. So this word, assembly, that is describing the rioters, that word is ecclesia, the same word that we use for church. Ecclesia was actually a secular term and it was used here to describe the rioters because what ecclesia really means is a gathering of people for a specific purpose. That's what an ecclesia is, a gathering of people for a specific purpose. And that can be any purpose. That can be a bunch of rioters who are really angry. It can be soldiers getting ready for battle. It could be men going to a brothel. Or it could be a bunch of first century Christians gathering in a home and breaking bread. Ecclesia is not a building, it's a people gathered for a purpose. And if this is our definition of church, If this is what we believe the church is, then we can't hate it. Jesus uses these words in Matthew chapter 16. And he says, and I tell that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. I will build my ecclesia. And when Jesus says my ecclesia here, he says, I am creating a new assembly. And this assembly's purpose will be me. Every time what we gather when we gather what we're doing is we're gathering for Jesus for his life for his death his resurrection and his teachings. And if the church is this a gathering of people under the banner of Jesus then today's statement that you can love Jesus and hate the church is completely false. There is no way we can love Jesus and hate His church, it's impossible. And scripture gives us more than just ecclesia to describe the church though. Scripture gives us two other beautiful images that we're gonna read about actually right now. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them up. If you didn't bring your Bible with you, no worries. We have Bibles in front of you. You can grab it and open to Ephesians chapter five. This is a letter that the apostle Paul wrote to Ephesus, who we just talked about earlier. And I'm gonna be picking up in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 29. I'll give you a second to get there. If you've been to a wedding recently, you've probably heard this passage. It's very popular at weddings. But the apostle Paul says, "'After all, no one has ever hated their own body, "'but they feed and care for their body "'just as Christ does the church. "'For we are members of his body.'" And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So in this short passage, Paul gives us two really good images that describe the church. And Paul also tells us about this connection between Christ and his church. So the first image that we have is the church church is the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. And we as believers are members of that body here on earth. When Jesus ascended up into heaven, he didn't just chunk the deuces and say, bye guys, I'm leaving you all on your own. No, he left us his Holy Spirit first off, which guides us into truth. But secondly, he left us each other. He left us brothers and sisters in Christ to walk through life with. Romans 12, five through six says, for just as each of us are one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Did you hear that? We belong to one another. We just don't belong to Jesus, but you belong to the person to your right and left, if they're your family or not. Isn't that a cool image of the church of Christ's body? I mean, think about how intricate and intertwined the different organs and systems are in our body. Our bodies are incredible and they allow us to do things like run, jump, um, eat, have babies, our bodies are mysteries, yet they work together in such beautiful ways. And this should be how the church works. Different body parts can't hate one another. They have to work together for a common purpose. And one body part is not better than the other, but at our best, all of these parts are working together for one common purpose. And that purpose is Jesus. But that means that each and every one of us in this room have a role to play. It doesn't matter if you think your part of the body is insignificant, because it is. Each one of us has a role to play in this church and we need to all be in this together. So if there's a part of the church that bugs you, if there's a part of the church that you just can't get behind, if there's a part of the church that really grinds your gears, maybe God is calling on you to be the change, to make a difference, to use your gifts to build up the body and to support the body of Christ. But listen, this image of the body goes beyond just your small group. And it goes beyond just our local church. It actually applies to the global church, to our brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world. That's why our maybe God spent so much time and energy on this beautiful documentary called Across. I hope you all have seen it. If you haven't seen it, we're gonna have another premiere here at the church in a few weeks. But it's a beautiful documentary. And we believe in it because we believe that the Bible teaches us that these Central and South American refugees, they are more us than they are them. Even if we don't see it, even if we try to ignore it, they are part of our body. And if one part of the body is suffering or if one part of the body is sick, then the whole body is suffering. You can't take yourself out of that situation because the church is not linked by geographic location or nationality, but the church is linked by our identity in Christ. That's what binds this body together. But the church is not just the body of Christ. The church is also called the bride of Christ. In Ephesians, Paul even says, this is a profound ministry mystery, but marriage is actually the central metaphor in our Bibles for the relationship between Christ and the church. Jesus is the groom and we, the church, are his bride. And if Jesus and the church are truly linked like a marriage, that means how we treat one affects how we treat the other, correct? Like if you had issue with my wife, if you didn't like my wife or if you hated her, that would affect me. If you had beef with her, you have beef with me. That's how marriage works. Two are made one. Imagine it this way. Imagine you were at your wedding day and you were the groom, and you're standing up there on the stage, just super excited to see your wife, you've been waiting two years for this engagement finally be over, and you just can't wait to see her walk down the aisle. Imagine in this moment, right before your bride walks in, that one of your groomsmen walks over to you and says, hey man, I really don't like her. I actually hate her guts, and this is a big mistake. What do you think would happen there? It'd be a Will Smith 2.0. I would slap the guy and tell him to sit down because he has no place in my marriage. There is no room for that in my relationship. And if he felt that way about my wife, that would effectively kill our friendship. There's no way that friendship could survive if he really felt that way. But y'all, listen, this is what we do to Jesus when we say we hate his church. This is what we do to Christ. Jesus came down to earth and died for the church. He died for each and every one of us. So when we disrespect the church, we're disrespecting Jesus. When we hate the church, we are hating Jesus. And listen, I've heard all the excuses. I've heard all the buts, but Dylan The church is just so clicky. I can't find a place to belong. But the church is so greedy. But the church is so hypocritical. But the church is so self-serving. But the church has broken its promises to me. And I know. I know. And guess what? You're right. The church has done those things. The church is greedy. The church is hypocritical. The church has broken its promises. The church has fallen short. But guess what? If, if Jesus looked at me right now, he could say all the same exact things about me. He would say, Dylan, you're greedy. Dylan, you're so hypocritical. Dylan, you are self-serving. But despite all of that, I still love you. Jesus loves me despite the mess of a man I am. He loves me despite my flaws. So why can't we love the church despite its flaws? Because if the church is the bride of Christ, then loving the church is loving Jesus. Loving the church is loving Jesus. When we love and serve other believers, we're actually loving Christ. 1 John 4:21 says, and he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. If we leave Jesus, we are commanded to love the church. There's no buts allowed. And I'm not talking about this sentimental surface level, ch- surface level love where you take an Instagram of your church and say, oh my gosh, I love my church body, it's the best. No, I'm talking about a real gritty self-sacrificial love where you, don't even, where you don't just like the church, but you fight for it. You love it so much that even when it messes up, even when it fails you, you fight for it. You work for it because you love it. This is the church, the love we are called to have for the church. And look, let me give you an out here. Loving the church doesn't mean liking every church. I'm not even saying you have to like this church or like a church that has hurt you in the past. If you are giving your all to your community, if you are plugged in and that community is no longer serving you, if that community is no longer discipling you and making you a better Jesus follower, then you have permission to leave. But the requirement is that you find another church that loves Jesus and you plug in and go all in with them you go all in with that new body of believers because to love the church means to seek out a community where you can belong, a community where you can become a disciple and where you can disciple others. I don't care if it's this church or if it's a church across the street. I honestly don't because my mission is not putting butts in the seat. Our mission is having people's lives transformed by Jesus. That is why we are here. So I don't care if you're doing it here or if you're doing it across the street, but I want your life to be wrecked by Jesus. When the church is firing at all cylinders, cylinders, that's what we're best at, discipling people and teaching them to love Jesus. My friend EJ and his fiance, Eliana, started attending the story kind of right in the middle of COVID. Um, E.J. was a self-described frat boy. He uh, went to Arizona State and U of H, spent time at multiple schools. And if you know anything about those communities, they like to have fun. Um, And when E.J. came to Houston, he had no idea what he was doing. He was working in landscaping, but like many of us who graduated right before or during COVID, um, the world was a really scary place. E.J. was struggling with his mental health, he was struggling with relationships, he was struggling with his career, and he was struggling finding any sense of purpose in life. Thankfully, a friend recommended him to the story, but instead of joining a church like a normal person and coming to the Sunday service first, EJ and his fiance just immediately signed up for a small group. That would be like not knowing how to swim and just jumping the deep end, right? You're kind of going backwards at it, Um, but it worked. Thankfully, EJ joined my small group. And at the time of joining, we were going through the book of Colossians and he didn't even know what Colossians was. He didn't know if it was a book in the Bible or where to find it, but he was there because he wanted to belong to a community. And he didn't necessarily behave. He didn't really believe the right things, but he wanted to belong. And through this belonging, the other things came naturally. Through our small group, EJ started to read the Bible. In our small group, EJ started to pray. EJ started to ask the right questions. And before he knew it, he was becoming a disciple of Jesus. And EJ not only became an integral part of our small group, but he also became a part of this church community. EJ began to love and serve the church. When I needed volunteers for our middle school class lift-off that's meeting right now, I reached out to EJ and his fiance, Liana, and they immediately agreed. They were all in. When we needed more cars for Trunk or Treat back in October, I called up EJ and he came. And he didn't just come with a trunk and a bag of dum-dums. He literally built a golf course in our parking lot and had kids like play putt-putt. Like how cool is that? He went above and beyond to love these kids. And a few weeks ago, when I stupidly tried to cram cram a ping pong table into my Subaru Crosstrek, he came with his truck and took two hours out of his workday to drive across Houston and back to help me pick pick up this ping pong table. You see, I have seen real gospel transformation in EJ's life. The church loved EJ when he needed it, and now EJ loves the church. He shares that same love with everyone he comes in contact with, and he shares that love with our students. Every time I ask our students, who is your favorite liftoff teacher? EJ, always at the top of the list. The kids love him. And EJ's story, it proves to us that church is not a hindrance to the mission of Jesus, but it's the vessel of spreading the gospel to the world. And that's the goal, that's the win, that is why we were here, so we can see people's lives transformed by Jesus. But listen, it won't happen if you run away from church. It won't happen if all you do is complain about church and complain about, I don't like that song, the service was too long. If you do those things, people's lives aren't gonna be transformed. Instead of complaining, we need to love the church. We need to invest in the church. We need to fight for our church. And I know church can be weird. I know pastors and worship leaders like me can sometimes overshare and make things really awkward. I know the church can be really hard to love, but Jesus commands us to love it anyway. Because we have to remember that this church is not a building that will crumble but it's an eternal family that will last forever. In Revelation chapter 21, there's this this beautiful picture of one day when this life is over and when we're in the next, where we as one body, the church, will be walking down the aisle and Jesus will be at the end like the groom, smiling, looking at us, full of love in his eyes. And we, the church, the bride and Christ, the groom will come together and be in union and Christ will pick us up and carry us to the wedding ceremony and the wedding feast where we'll celebrate together forever. That is the picture of what the church will be. I don't love the church because the church is perfect. I love the church because Jesus is perfect and we can put our hope in him. Do you pray with me? Father God, I thank you just for this day and just this privilege and honor of being part of the body of Christ, of being part of the pride of Christ, God. I thank you for this community of believers that walk alongside me in this faith journey. And I pray that all of us would team up together to support this body and to lead one another towards Christ each and every day.